Hello, and welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today, we're going to talk about Clash of the Titans, Apple v. Epic, Tim v. Tim. But before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast? <laughs> I didn't think about it as Tim v. Tim. Well, on this podcast, we like to talk about games. Uh, there is a little, you know, kerfuffle brewing between two mega titans of the industry, right? You've got Apple, uh, which runs the App Store that is on, you know, most people's phones. It's like that in the Google Play Store that are really kind of competing. Um, and recently, uh, and, and just, and, and Epic has come out against... Uh, shall we say some of Apple's practices? Say no, we're not going to listen to you. And this has now become a full-scale war in which almost both sides are trying to kind of like weaponize their certain audiences against uh, against the other. I mean, I think in a certain sense, it's almost kind of like a war of fanboys. This reminds me a lot of like watching Marvel versus DC fanboys argue about movies, but this is like. <laughs> I don't know, I guess fans of Apple versus Fortnite fans at this point. So I, I will agree with you that like that's kind of how it plays out on the ground, but I, I do have to say that Epic is the only one that's like kind of like actively weaponizing it in kind of like the the public sphere as it were. I, part of that is Yeah, probably... okay, that is that is very true. I do think um I do think that there is mobilization on the Apple side, uh, and I have definitely seen that, but I don't think that it comes from Apple itself. It kinda comes more almost from like the like tech junkie blog sphere, like the Silicon Valley, right? You know, uh, I'm thinking like, uh, what's the, like Engadget, like those kinds okay, of websites yeah, yeah. in a certain sense uh, have have sort of, because like in a certain sense, the, I, I, and I think about this in general in like a moral idea, there's sort of this like aggressors paradox where like if you can frame yourself as the defensive party in any sort of front, right, you instantly kind of claim the moral high ground, uh, which is what seems to have happened. It is sort of like epic through the first gauntlet. Therefore, they are the ones who are attacking. Apple is defending. And that is – and just that narrative alone was kind of enough to – I don't know. I mean there's some other parts to it with. too, right? So yeah. so for completeness, um, it's not ju- – like so – the the obviously the the kind of title match is Apple v Epic, but um, Epic has also filed suit against Google, um, and uh, Microsoft issued a statement in support of one provision of Epic's claim um, against Apple. Uh, but they're like like so Microsoft's definitely a, a side player, and uh, for reasons we can get into later. But uh, uh, Google is is pretty central, just kind of like not the source of the eye, or also not. What like, kind of like the the bigger thing is that like Epic started an ad campaign, right? The 1980 Fortnite is squarely aimed at Apple's old 1984 ad, which is a weird pull because I don't expect you know the the Zoomers who play Fortnite to understand that reference. I um, mean, I don't know. It was directed by Ridley Scott. Maybe they're maybe they're film school aficionados. Really, I just wanted a, a, a way to throw that around. Yeah, that that ad was directed by Ridley Scott. Everyone. <laughs> well, you know. Um, I'm don't think that the, uh, the Fortnite equivalent was, uh, given that yeah. it, like, it was also like, I think like a forced thing that showed up in Fortnite. Anyway, we should give some base context for people who don't know what the hell we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's give the history lesson first. Okay. So, um, historically, so Epic makes this game called Fortnite. Uh, 
Uh, I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's very popular, <laughs> played by a lot of people um, across all platforms, including, important for this, uh, mobile platforms. And on uh, mobile platforms, uh, both Apple and Google take a 30% cut of all payment transactions. Um, uh, partially important to this is this is also the cut that most stores take. Notably, Epic Store takes a smaller cut, but it still takes a cut. Um, obviously, like, if you were to buy, you know, any of our – like if you were to buy Spinch right now on Steam – well, you can't buy it Spinch right now on Steam, but just to like use it. If you example, were to pre-order Net- Spinch on Steam, comes yeah, out Steam August, September twenty third, right? Cut of yeah, Steam would take a thirty percent cut of that. You're not even you're not even going to lean into my shill. I'm chilling for you, buddy. Um, Thank you for chilling for me. <laughs> Spinch does come out this week. It comes out in three days from the time of recording. So maybe at you know, hey, listen, if you're listening to this in the future, you can get you can get Spinch. Okay, uh, but yeah. Um, just to, to, to get back to it then, uh, yeah, so Steam takes a 30% cut. Epic takes less of a cut. Obviously, it takes not a cut of Fortnite since they own it. Um, but uh, uh, the Epic essentially decides that they are not happy with this. Um, and part of the uh, – uh, or so and so they um, effectively put an update out to Fortnite Mobile that puts a button in that – um, that lets you bypass the respective app stores to purchase V-Bucks. And along with this, cuts the price of V-Bucks by, I think it's like 20% um, for everyone. And so uh, and so you can either buy it through the Apple Store or the Google Play Store for full price, or you can buy it through their direct link uh, for uh, 20% less. Now, this is a direct violation of their, of both, uh, Google and Epic or Apple's terms of service when it comes to payment plans. There's also some details here, which um, kind of, at least in my mind, paint Epic. Like, like this is clear. Like, like this was Epic was trying to generate a controversy. Um, it wasn't. It was in an update. So it was in an update previously that was only activated by a server side signal. So basically, Fortnite calls home, and if it sees the signal, it turns it on. So it kind of that's how it got passed basically Apple's approval process is it was invisible on submission and then Epic remotely flipped the switch to turn this option on. Um, Ooh, that's actually very sneaky. Cause yes. yeah, cause that was something that, you know, I see on my side of the industry all the time is that Apple has a very stringent compared to Google, uh, has a very stringent sort of, um, kind of review policy for adding things to, uh, to an app that's on the store or changing things around to the app on the store. This is pretty common for platform holders. They want to review things. Uh, the notable exception is like steam, which doesn't really care typically. Um, or for instance, um, Google, which is nicer about if you want to get your app on the play store, it is easier to get your app on the play store than it is to get your app on the app store. Also notably, it's much easier to download a uh, you know kind of independent executable it's an apk in the in the google case and run that on your phone right you have to actually jailbreak your iphone in order to to do it on that side but the the google side you can independently release it in fact fortnite at one point allowed you to download the apk directly from them to circumvent the google play store just wasn't getting enough traction um but uh, so that happens um, Apple's like, what the fuck? This obviously violates the terms of service. Tim Sweeney's bit comes out swinging like a madman on Twitter, being like, fuck you, Apple. You, you, you dirty, dirty monopolist. And Apple's like, fuck you, Tim Sweeney, and pulls Fortnite from the store. Um, also, like, pulls all of their accounts, which has the downstream effect of, like, potentially, or, like, banning the Unreal Engine account, which is super important for, like, 
a ton of other apps on the store, um, yeah. uh, which uh, plays out later in court. Um, Epic, in response, files a lawsuit. It's very clear that this lawsuit was prepared. They were essentially baiting a trap, is the way I've heard it described, um, accusing Apple of being a, uh, a monopolist. Um, and, uh, and basically, they're going to fight this in court. Um, I think we're going to try and stay away from the legalities of this and kind of like the legal theories, um, except where it's kind of necessary as explanatory power. Um, if you'd like a very thorough breakdown of the legalities, I would suggest you go follow um, Hogue Law. Um, it's called Virtual Legality. He's got a playlist of, uh, of videos on this specific controversy, which I will uh, link in the description. Um, but it goes over kind of all the, the, the legal niceties. Um, and what I kind of want to focus on here is kind of more like um, uh, the the kind of moral stance, right? Like, you know, is it, regardless of the force of law, is it appropriate for Apple to be charging a thirty percent cut? Is it responsible for, or is it accept, or is it acceptable for anybody to be charging a thirty percent cut? Um, maybe kind of like rebounding effects through the industry if this ends up working, right? Like, so so something that um that Hogue Richard Hogue points out in his podcast is that if Epic successful. Um, it kind of also kills console exclusivity in a way, um, which uh, which which has its own set of problems, right? Like, uh, and it'll kill. Like, it, it kills kind of like it, it kind of like transforms the definition of uh, not necessarily monopoly, but like essentially what what a monopoly counts as, or an extortive monopoly counts as under the Sherman Antitrust Act. Um, that would have like weird rippling effects to the industry. Uh, but, buddy. Um, uh, maybe as an insider, maybe if you can't do, I don't, I don't want to put you in a position of, you know, you're not, I guess I, I assume you're not talking your official capacity, but no, I'm definitely not talking my official capacity. Obviously I have experience in the back end of the industry. I've been, you know, a game developer for the last, whatever, eight years. Um, but the, uh, the specifics, um, of, of what I'm going to talk about in the podcast aren't representative of my time at Square Enix, my time at Occupy Games, my time doing anything else kind of in between. Just kind of like what I have observed in a general, in a general sense. I do want to put that up front so that nobody, uh, nobody like misunderstands kind of like where I'm coming from, um, with this. Because like, there are actually a lot of pieces to the puzzle that... And, and th- that we've sort of, like, touched on, but each individually become, like, more powerful. So, for instance, that piece of Epic getting banned off the App Store, right, but then also being targeted through the Apple Developers Program does include the Unreal Engine, right? And the Unreal Engine, while not incredibly common uh, among the indie side of the industry, the indie side of the industry tends to be built on lower fidelity, easier-to-access engines like GameMaker, um... And uh, higher fidelity, more complex, complicated, but also powerful engines like Unreal are kind of reserved for that like sort of AAA uh, AAA space. Uh, But it is not strange for there to be Unreal, you know, like Unreal developers who are making indie games. Um, The, you know, like the Gone Viral guys are Unreal developers doing, um, you know, doing, doing indie games. So when it comes to that side of a thing, it really does like Epic has more power in the industry than folks give them credit for just because of that unreal connection. Right. It is not just that Epic is a Titan of 
the free-to-play Fortnite, the most popular game in the world right now, right? It is that they also kind of control the patent to the engine on which many, many, many games run. Um, and given that, you know, like Unity, for instance, which is sort of the other, you know, juggernaut, right? Like you have Unity and um, Game Maker who are, where, who are the game in- engine for most of like the indie scene, right? Unity has been operating at a loss for quite a while and looks to be uh, kind of having a tough time finding real solid footing in terms of funding. Um, um, they actually just filed for to IPO. So that's... Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so, you know, they're going to be a public company, and Epic is not public, I don't think. Um, no, so Epic is not public. Uh, it it is owned partially by Tencent, and, uh, and I think the rest is all I think, private. I think Tencent technically has a minority stake. I think Tim Sweeney yeah, personally holds, like... percent I think Tim Sweeney personally holds, like, a majority stake in the company, which is interesting. But that all aside... Um, kind of one of the developments on this is uh, is Epic filed for an injunction. Um, again, not to get too into the weeds of this, but they basically asked the court to force Apple and Google to keep hosting Fortnite and keep hosting Unreal Engine. And the court granted the Unreal Engine side of it so that like all the downstream effects don't happen, right? Like doesn't like hurt all the developers. Um, but the for- but the Fortnite one was denied on basically the grounds that they could just revert back to like the pay through the store and litigate while they're paying through the store and recover damages later. Um, again, that's, that's kind of legal weeds. If you want a deeper explanation, go uh, hit some, some legal videos that I'll, that I'll link. But um, um, so the, the current state of the industry right now, or the current state of, of the store right now is that um, unreal engine can still operate. They can still continue to develop and up, issue updates to that. But Fortnite is off of the store. Um, and I think it's like another blow. Uh, Apple also terminated the Fortnite developer account. Um, which I don't understand uh, the the full back end of that. I haven't di- distributed anything through the iOS store, but uh, evidently Epic holds a bunch of different accounts. Um, uh, yeah, and- that's pretty normal. And then you have sort of quote unquote sub accounts for each of the individual apps. I, I think that's probably more of a nuisance than anything else. For instance, I think that probably gets rid of all of Fortnite's ratings. Um, so like if Fortnite were to come back to the store, I wonder if it would still be like a five star app with like millions of downloads or whatever, or if it would be effectively starting fresh, um, you know, like that kind of thing, which like is pretty minor in the, you know, like in the, in the end game of all of this, but it does sort of like matter. Right. Um, and I do think it shows that Apple is not, you know, fucking around. Um, there is a version of this where Apple sort of backs down in a way, I think, um, and kind of creates a privileged program. Um, I don't know that this is true and I don't really want to say it without real evidence. But so, for instance, um, there's speculation that that sort of thing uh, happened with Steam and EA when EA very recently brought all of its titles back to Steam, that there was sort of like a premium deal on the table where like EA was able to kind of say like, look, you know, like our games are huge, Titanfall or whatever, Titanfall 2, right? Obviously Steam has the users we want, but we have the games you want. Cut us a, cut us a deal, right? And we'll come back to the Steam store. And so the speculation is that essentially, right? Like when I would put up a game, it would be a 30% markdown, but maybe when EA puts up their game, it is not. Um, yeah, and, and if you were a big is, enough force, you could individually negotiate that contract. I think is kind of standard for a lot of these stores. 
Yeah, and so and that's something. And like I said, that is speculation. Uh, I just saw this on Twitter, um, but it is. Uh, but like, it's a possibility, right? Where maybe Apple says, you know what, this is one of the biggest, most powerful apps on our store, right? Like, let's let's kind of grant it the leeway that it deserves in a way, um, in order to keep this cash cow happy. Uh, but that's not the way that they're going. They are going the like, let's fight it. Let's you know, really go hard on this. Part of it is just because, like, to be honest, the person who gets really screwed in those scenarios are the minor apps, right? They are the, you know, um, the kind of indie game, indie apps of the world that don't have that same sort of power but want access to Apple's platform. If you do start making deals with the Titans and saying, okay, well, instead of 30%, pay 20 pay 10 right? The gap there comes out of, you know, like, all of a sudden the weight falls on the small guys to sort of, like, make up in the meantime, which is pretty punishing, right? Because obviously, like, it makes it so much harder to be successful in the, in the space when your high-level competitors have to only clear a 10% profit margin, but you have to clear 30, if that makes sense. I, I see what you're saying, but I... I... I feel like the, the nature of the beast is that any of these co- these companies that were going to have the leverage to negotiate better terms aren't going to need like aren't going to have any trouble clearing those anyway. Like they could operate the the mobile versions as yeah. losses if if they wanted to. Not to mention that those games are always going to be higher fidelity anyway. Uh, one of the big advantages of an indie game is that it costs less to produce. Right when yeah. I am making an indie game with my indie team and it's just four people, right? Like a, a programmer, a designer you know, and then an artist or two, uh, that is a much simpler proposition than like putting out the next call of duty, which is, which includes hundreds of people, which includes very high end graphical fidelity, which includes, you know, honestly, like QA expectations, like the expectation that I was that, that, you know, like the expectation that I would be under in my job as a community manager for QA, um, on a triple-A title would be so different compared to what it is for an indie title. Because on an indie title, people understand, like, hey, listen, these guys are indie developers. They don't necessarily have the time to be running around, right, like, patching the little, like, the little weird bugs. We don't have a super huge variety of machines to test on. Um, Sometimes those patches are going to take a while. Sometimes those bugs are... uh, you know, are not something that they could have seen beforehand. And and I think, by the way, I, I, I want to offer this kind of credit to, like, the community and the audience who are consumers of indies to for being so patient, right? They exhibit a level of patience that I never would receive if I were working on Call of Duty, right? If I'm in Call of Duty and, like, my screen tears or I have a sort of, like, frame rate bug, and it feels to me like that was the reason I lost this firefight in Warzone, I'm going to be livid. And I'm going to say, Activision, you have billions of dollars. There is no excuse for you to not have your shit figured out. Yeah, no, that, that was actually one of the, the common refrains against Bungie whenever it had issues in Destiny. It's like, oh, a small independent studio, Bungie, right? It's like, you know, like, no, we don't, no, we yeah, don't buy that. No, yeah, say the same thing about Blizzard, right? Small independent <laughs> company, Blizzard. When, like, uh, Hearthstone is famous for this because they will just have, like, weird buggy interactions between cards sometimes. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, like, there is that expectation when you are putting out a AAA product that you're going to have AAA level of polish. 
um, versus, you know, when you're putting out an indie product that is just kind of not, yeah. not there to the same extent. And the flip side of that, too, is that the AAA product probably has more to test, as it were, right? Like, in terms of, like, building yes. up costs that requires, that, you know, kind of plays into this, this cost-benefit analysis part of yep. it. The QA process when I was working at a AAA studio was much different than when I'm, you know, working at... Akupara, uh, just because, right? Like, first of all, it, it's few. You know, like, first of all, it's fewer people um, who are sort of touching any individual thing, right? A QA department is going to have a lot of different hands that they are going to pass a bug to in a AAA studio where it's like, here's the person who reported the bug. Here's the person who took that initial report. Here's the person who did follow-up. Here's the person who did the initial investigation, but then they sent it off to somebody else. You know, there are different, you know, there's QA and then there's TQA, right? Like, that is something that doesn't exist in an indie studio because your QA department is going to be, like, two people, right? There is no one to pass it off to. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I – uh, and, and uh, like, there, there's also just kind of, like, less paths to test, right? Like, yeah. uh, you know, there's – Gone Viral right now has, what, like, two characters uh, and, like, four levels – opposed to call of duty uh, although i will point out that call of duty is kind of a mess at points um i actually ended up this is this is maybe for the end part but i uninstalled warzone because it kept crashing on me but uh oh no i'm sorry yeah, that sucks yeah. um but uh but but, you, but so really really what i'm getting at is that there is um uh that there is a world in which sort of like apple backs down and we went kind of a different path, but the path that we are on is one where Apple is really holding its ground and wants to kind of like uphold this. And I do think that there are ripples out there, right? I think if Apple gets hosed here, that is bad news for Valve, right? Because Valve is functionally doing a very similar thing on Steam, though I would argue it is less bad. Uh, there are many more shops uh, that you can buy from on uh, a PC compared to uh, just, you know, one or two, right? In in the phone space, you mostly have a duopoly. In the PC gaming space, there are a lot of different stores, not to mention just Epic itself, right? Um, creating its own sort of storefront and enticing its own users with their uh, kind of special giveaways and everything sort of along those lines. But um, it, is a, it is a thing that would absolutely have consequences, Um rippling throughout the industry if you know it it were to fall uh in epic's direction i feel like if it were to fall in apple's direction not much would change i feel like if it were to fall in epic's direction a lot would really fundamentally yeah it it might even revert back on epic itself because like obviously this is maybe narrow construction than the app store thing but like uh under kind of like a mirror point of view epic is the monopoly provider of v bucks Right, which is like not the way you normally think about it, but also like monopoly provider of app store apps is also like a weirder kind of like more narrow definition of monopoly than usually gets construed. Um, yeah, I actually think intuitively Apple has the advantage. Like intuitively, I look at it and when you, when you I look at it this way, right? Apple is the number one spot for the like hardware and software in like the mobile market right most people are going to have an iphone most iPhones. so that's actually not true android has like an 80 percent market share um what yeah it's just that like apples is kind of like the boutique high-end right like there's a lot of very low quality i had never known that i thought apple was the i thought apple was like the high-end or i'm sorry was the was the market leader um uh so i think like 
profit-wise it might be, but that's just also because, like, Android spread out over, like, a thousand different devices. Oh, that actually companies. makes sense. Because I, I think of Apple as being, like, the biggest company in the world, right? Though, I guess Amazon is that technically right now. But, um, uh, and part of that is just, like, they own the iPhone, and the iPhone is, like, the core of most people's mobile market. But, yeah, if you are spread out between, you know, Samsung and, you know, Huawei. Are there are there other phone producers? I don't know. I have an essential. Huawei, phone Google and, themselves, uh, yeah. <laughs> OnePlus, right? Like, there's like okay. It, so that, it, that actually yeah. does make sense to me. Um, but the thing, but the thing is, is like if you, you know, like if that you are paying the your thirty percent cut for access to that market, basically, right? You know that there is a platform and that people congregate on that platform. They they own phones that access that platform and you want access to those people you have to pay me a cut of whatever you know like whatever business you are doing with those people i am a gate right this is the app store i am a gate holding you back from accessing the people on my platform unless you pay me pay me the toll that toll is 30 percent on all business you know like that you do intuitively that seems the most reasonable kind of like framing to me it is much more hard like not which isn't to say that it isn't correct to kind of view it the opposite way apple is a monopoly uh that is kind of like controlling and and oppressing the market with with its practices it's just that that stuff is like harder for someone to wrap their head around compared to this idea of sort of like a gated community that you want access to because it's very similar to what steam looks like right you and i are buying lots of steam games because we play together on steam steam has a back-end infrastructure that we know and are integrated into and we understand intuitively right i understand steam reviews i understand right like what curators are i understand what the steam sale is as my as i buy games on steam my loyalty to steam as a platform only increases because i am going to be spending my time on that platform and i'm going to be making friends and connecting with other people on that platform right um and so in the same way that that apple is sort of selling you access to its audience which is gated at the app store steam is selling you access to its audience which is gated at the steam storefront right um and part of that is just like they have done a good job at corralling uh at corralling people right like i do think that some alternatives have worked like for instance i think battle.net has mostly worked as an alternative but it's kind of an alternative in the same way that like twitter is an alternative to facebook it's not directly competing it's just kind of vaguely competing in the same space by doing its own thing yeah i'm but and i think in the kind of general space right like um the epic game store and good old game uh good old games galaxy um mm-hmm. uh, are like reasonable alternatives also like the microsoft store is making a play for it with its game pass right like there's definitely like a yeah. room to compete there um and the, the, the thing that's weird is that like as much as, like, apps are, like, kind of, like, their own ecosystem, they're not actually the kind of the primary product in the market. The primary product in that market is the phone itself, right? Like, and there are, mm-hmm. like, like, as you pointed out, there's basically uh, Apple and, uh, and, uh, and, and Google. And, like, there's theoretically, like, you know, theoretically, Epic could launch its own phone if it wanted to. <laughs> but uh, that would be a, that's a tougher market to, to break into. Um, it's kind of on the nature of hardware versus software. Um uh but uh but yeah um but 
the 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 point there being that like um even though we're kind of thinking of this as kind of like the the app store as its own uh kind of ecosystem what you're really buying into is the whole apple ecosystem uh, or the apple whole iphone ecosystem right like the the apple ecosystem is a, is a kind of like apple marketing thing right like you want your your, your uh apple tv and your home pod or whatever right you want to mm-hmm. be like all apple all the time um, but that's like, you know, you could swap out any one of those. And in, in this case, you could you, like you're primarily buying the phone, right? Like, um, I don't think you're bu- like you're, you're probably not primarily buying your phone to be a uh, to be a game playing device. Although maybe that's what the kids are doing nowadays. Uh, am I old buddy? Am I do, do I do I not understand the kids? I do think that you and I have – I am always amazed at the numbers that mobile brings. I have a very good friend who um, was a AAA developer for a very long time. Um, He was kind of like my gateway into games in a lot of ways. And uh, I remember how kind of like stressed he was and constantly moving from studio to studio to studio. Um, And he was working on these big prestigious projects, right? Like projects that I I would name them and you would be like, oh, I get it, right? But now he works for a mobile game company and it's like – the easiest it's like easy breezy right like a regular nine to five no overtime they get an hour for lunch you know what i mean like all of this stuff that wore like all of these luxury items to just working in 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 like the job space um of the game games industry and uh and he's like never been and he's like never been happier i've never played any one of his games i could name a couple of them and you'd be like what, what who what what's that but they make gangbusters i don't i don't understand it people are just playing games on their phone um all the time i've heard this described as sort of like the pc paradox um which is that like you expect in in most industries right your highest information highest dedication fans and customers right are a core backbone where you are making most of your money right um in general these are like pc gamers right uh but there is a downside to having very highly informed like lifestyle gamers um dedicated to kind of like your game which is that they are bargain hunters they create ecosystems uh and social systems that protect them against predatory pricing policies um they wait for steam sales they don't buy games that that reviewers tell them are bad someone who is sitting on the toilet browsing games on the app store to play for the five minutes it takes them to squeeze out a dump are not people who are making right like very well informed decisions they're not following the development cycle of their poop game they're not you know they're not like keeping up with the business practices of their poop game they don't care about whether or not you know like the business is ethical they don't care about whether or not you know their favorite reviewer said they don't have a favorite reviewer they they just get it because in the moment they have two dollars to spend on a game that will occupy their time for the five minutes it takes to dump and maybe they'll come back to it a couple of times who cares sort of thing and they move on because you know so many pc gamers have a whole lifestyle that revolves around gaming um they they just don't fall for stuff like that and it is harder to get them to pay out for the kind of stuff that you want and or like as a company you want them to pay out it's kind of hilarious too because those guys are also like like what one of those things is almost certainly a subsection of the other right like like yeah. the same guy will like walk from his computer where he's just read the scathing review of, you know, 
the the bad game and won't buy it and he will sit on his toilet and spend two dollars on some piece of crap right to to to, you know to to just play while he's while he's crapping so there is a problem with incomplete information as well right like we have insight into only a fraction of the kinds of companies that you know uh we're we're purchasing products from right i might read a jason schreier article about like the incredible crunch that the guys at epic have to suffer through while i'm working right like my job at square enix and final fantasy 14 which doesn't have like which doesn't have that level of like that level of crunch at all but let's assume that when i was working at square enix there was like really heavy crunch a lot of the time it just that sort of thing wouldn't get reported right because Epic is an industry leader, because Fortnite is the biggest game, right? Like, these are the things that make it newsworthy. But there are AAA studios where people are being, you know, crunched insanely hard. And those aren't making the same kind of headlines for a variety of different reasons. Some of them are just people don't, you know, stand up for themselves. And they don't talk about kind of like the unethical business practices that surround that. People also have a, you know, uh, like they have the crunch is good actually right like mindset um and so as a gamer you might have access to some of that information but not others of that information by no fault of your own and it will affect your purchasing choices yeah and and then the flip side of that too is that like the incomplete information is also usually covered by like the the way that like say the reporter feels about it right like you we don't we don't know say uh what any particular employee that um, Jason Schreier has reported out about, right, like, um, you know, what their particular, what their particular responsibilities were, what their particular performance was, right, like, what, um, you know, what this, like, a lot of them are ex-employees, uh, I, I know, like, I, I have, a lot of Jason Schreier stuff is ex-employees, which is also, like, a safer thing to do, right, like, you know, uh, you know, you don't want to be telling tales out of school if you could face legal ramifications for it, or if it affects your current job, you don't know, like, how much of that's the current state of things, right, like, and how much, um, now much any any anything uh reaper respect but yes you, you don't know uh, you, you don't know the, the the full story nearly any of the time also just kind of like i have talked about this before um this so the the, the story you told about your friend who uh who used to work for a a triple a and now works as a mobile just kind of like echoes kind of not anything i've directly experienced but like stories i have heard like i have friends who went and did some game dev stuff um, and I worked in Silicon Valley. I still work in, in, in software, although slightly less uh, hectic than Silicon Valley itself. But it, it essentially, like, even at the worst of the times that I was working in Silicon Valley, it was nothing um, nearly so bad as I have heard stories out of uh, game development. And, uh, you know, I also know that I got paid significantly more than anybody uh, in gaming just because it is such a passion-driven industry. Um mm. Uh, Yeah, in a lot of ways, you sort of just pay that premium, right? If you want to be able to say, I'm a game developer, right? That chunks 20% or whatever the number would be off your salary, right? You could just say, I'm a programmer. You could just say, I, you know, I could be a community manager for, right, like a condo or something. Um, But I'm not. I'm a community manager for a game company and I like running a game company Twitter account and I like memeing with, you know, people in my game company discord and everything. And, uh, you know, and you opt into that in a certain sense when it comes to, when it comes to the industry. Um, so, oof. So, so this is a funny poison pill. If you could, would you run the Wendy's Twitter account? No, I, I, I wouldn't be super interested in that. I like, there is a world in which I would be willing to run, you know, uh, 
like I don't know, like the Warcraft Twitter account, uh, like the the Fortnite Twitter account, right? Like any something games, I could definitely see myself doing, but I don't really think I, I would be interested in being a social media guy for AMC theaters. Okay, or, even know. if you could be like, even if they give you full reins to be like full brand Twitter, right? Like the well, one of the more famous. I mean, I do enjoy brand Twitter. I, 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 it's one of those things that um, uh, I wish I had I had had more time for. In, in a certain sense, um, like being just like being able to sit on Twitter all day and like and like meme around. Uh, but obviously, it, when, when it comes to indie games, I'm responsible for just like a lot more than uh, Wendy's can hire a person to just sit on Twitter all day. Um, the Occupy doesn't have the, the bandwidth to do something like that. I also have to write the emails and manage the website and manage the Steam forums and Discord and all these other sorts of places, right? Yeah, no, I, I, absolutely. But We've gotten a little bit far afield. I kind of want to bring us yeah. back to... Uh, okay, so let's... Talk, I, I, so this is not something I had known about. What is the Microsoft of it all? Oh, because so, you mentioned them earlier, and I feel like that there's more there. Uh, that, that there's I'm not sort of like a lot more of. there. They basically oh, okay. put, a, put a letter out. and fa- Basically, they, I think, were going to be affected negatively by the Unreal um, account cancellation. And so they put out a letter that was like, we support the Unreal part. Uh, it was worded a little bit weirdly because they... Epic didn't exactly make the distinction in their complaint, but um, they basically came out down on the side of Epic. I think they are also doing a little bit of like maneuvering um, because. So the other big part of this is that completely separate from this, Apple has refused to put Microsoft's X Cloud on the App Store because oh, yeah. they would have I, to individually I, I verify like every single game that you could play through X Cloud, and they mm-hmm. weren't going to do that. Um, and so Microsoft has kind of miffed at them, and so I think this was kind of just like a shot across. About. I was like, yeah, well, you know, like, screw you too. Um, uh, but um, if it actually came out all the way in Epic's favor, that would also be very bad for Microsoft um, yeah. in terms of, you know. Microsoft, who is no stranger to antitrust uh, antitrust filings, um, uh, you know, they, 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 <laughs> they probably don't want the, uh, the, the whole thing to, 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 to fall down on, on the Epic side, but they probably have Yeah, I mean, I do find unreal. it really interesting with the different Silicon Valley, like, giants, how they each sort of interact with gaming on an individual level, right? So, because you, you kind of have, so, like, Apple has the App Store and, like, the Apple Arcade, but otherwise it doesn't really touch gaming all that much, whereas Microsoft is deep in it, right? Like, the Xbox... Uh, the, you know, the Xbox Game Pass, right? They own a bunch of studios. Microsoft Game Studios is a whole thing. They function as a game publisher, a game developer, and a hardware company all at the same time that they're doing, like, uh, Also, you know, probably the single biggest thing that goes un- unrecognized is that, like, 98, probably, percent of games that are developed for PC are developed for Windows, right? Like, they're not developed for yeah, Linux yeah. or Apple, right? So, mm-hmm. I mean, not that they directly benefit from that, but, you know, it does kind of... it's probably part of the reason at least why everybody still buys windows right like um, oh yeah for sure um but um and then you have like amazon right who's who's foray into the space is mostly through twitch right which is huge obviously right like controlling streaming is just absolutely gigantic um but it is functionally treating it as a as a media company right like Amazon owns Twitch in the same way that, like, Microsoft would own Warner Brothers in that sense, though AT&T owns Warner Brothers. And so you kind of have, like, these differing sort of perspectives where for Apple it is all about, like, kind of the mobile side of things and and kind of controlling access to that platform. For Microsoft, it is deeply entrenched in the development and publishing of individual games. And for Amazon, it is acting as a games media company, right, where you are 
effectively publishing TV shows about popular games all the time, right? All day, every day. You can flip on a channel and it is a TV show about a game hosted by your favorite streamer, whoever, right? Yeah, I mean, they're, um, they're also a secondary storefront, right? Like, they sell Steam codes through Amazon. Um, that is true. Um, also other Honestly, codes, right? Honestly, I think that is a gigantic thing uh, that folks don't necessarily, like, see or talk about. So one of the things... Um, so, that, so real, real quick before you go into this, I think the even bigger sure. thing is that I'm sure that a lot of these games run their internet through AWS, which is like their secret behemoth in like the you know in like the real world too. Oh right? yeah, that's very that's very yeah. fair. Yeah. Um, plus um, Lumberyard, which is the the game engine that no one uses, but uh, you know, <laughs> uh, New World, it's, right? It's like Frostbite. It's like you know, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but you were you were um, you were going to say about about the significance? Well, of, so yeah, uh, so like Tales. I I have detected this in Steam. One of the things that has made Steam unique, I think, and has protected them in a lot of ways. Like you can see it in the way that people talk about the Steam versus Epic fight. Um, Steam has a lot of goodwill from its customer base because it hasn't engaged in a lot of the, shall we say, tougher sort of like platform competitiveness. Like Steam ultimately doesn't care a lot that Humble is also dabbling in their space and and you know like tossing around Steam codes. They don't care that like GOG um, or Green Man Gaming exist, um, and they are willing to let you kind of like churn out Steam codes more or less like candy. This is very different compared to so for instance, it is much harder for let's say I'm a Switch developer. I'm a Switch developer. First of all, it's much harder to get my game on the Switch. I have to send it through certain levels of QA that are just um, very daunting. Um, And then I get up on a storefront with very strict and stringent rules. And then they don't give out a lot of keys, right? Um, Whereas Steam, the the barrier to entry to get on the platform is very low. If you just want to pop your game on Steam, you basically can without too much trouble, right? Like there is a, a vetting process, but it's much less intense. Um, if you want to, uh, if you want to get codes, that's fine. Generate codes. How many codes do you want? Five thousand codes. Sounds good. Generate them. Boom. Right there, they are. Kind of thing, right? And if you want to like screw around with your codes in different ways, they're also very sort of like tolerant of that, which like the other platforms like aren't as much um if i'm on if i'm on switch or if i'm on a ps4 or something like that um the kind of rules that surround giving out game codes are uh are pretty complicated and pretty stringent in in comparison to steams and i think that that freedom that they that they kind of engage their platform with is in marked contrast to apple here where apple is sort of acting a little bit like nintendo is with the switch where they are very controlling of uh, like the App Store, they're controlling of uh, like what goes up on their you know on their hardware basically um, in a way that that makes them a little bit more of a target when it comes to this. Yeah, I, I, I definitely uh, I, I definitely get that. But like on, on the flip side of that, right? Like part of that like engenders um, some trust with like with like the more closed stores and like sure. Um, yeah, sure. If you wanted to make the argument that like maybe Apple deserves a thirty percent cut and Steam doesn't because Steam isn't doing as much, right? Like, um, I think that's a fairly strong argument there, right? Like you are paying like when you buy an iPhone, you are paying for the walled garden, right? You are paying for the yeah. fact that you, you know You are paying in a certain sense for the curation, right? Because yeah. Apple's going to sit and they're gonna, you know, screw around with your app and they're gonna make sure that it's not, you know, a virus that's gonna delete someone's whatever, uh, brick their phone. 
and um, and that's overhead, and that overhead has to come from you know like that overhead has to come from somewhere. Um, this again is sort of why I think that that thirty percent is so intuitive, right? Like Apple has this sort of intuitive argument on its side. I do think that like you know, listen, if some lawyer were to come on the podcast and tell me, well, actually Apple is a a monopoly, they could convince me of that, like. Don't, don't, don't get me wrong, but just like on an intuitive level, I think if you're somebody who's on Twitter browsing headlines, um, reading the first few paragraphs of an article, listening to this podcast, it's just a lot easier to kind of comprehend Apple's side of the argument than it is Epic's side of the argument. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, spoilers for, like, Hope definitely comes down on the side that he thinks that Epic has the weaker case, but... Uh... Um, oh really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There, there's a there's a lot there. Again, I don't want to get too into the weeds, but like part of it is that like, um, this kind of over broadly, right? Like being a monopoly isn't actually illegal, right? Like you have to take like weird trust or not necessarily weird, but you have to take like oppressive trust actions as right. a monopoly, right? Like if you just happen to be a monopoly because you're the only person good enough to offer a service, right? Like you're a natural monopoly or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. Natural is not a good example because natural is, is slightly different. But like you, you are you are a monopoly by dint of providing a quality service. The government's not yeah, going to come after you. YouTube is not a monopoly just because it dominates like the platform. YouTube would be, or I'm sorry, YouTube is not an illegal monopoly just because it dominates the platform. YouTube would be an illegal monopoly if you know, in order to have a YouTube account, you had to sign a contract that said you were never allowed to have a Twitch account, right? Is that what yeah. you mean? Yeah, something like that. I'm not, you know, obviously I'm not a lawyer, so I, I can't speak to that. But, like, essentially, like, the trust stuff usually goes after, like, price collusion, right? Or, like, sure. um, uh, various, various such other uh, oppressive practices. It's also a lot easier to do in meat space, right? Because, like, um, it's much easier to be the sole provider of a natural good than it is and like a physical good than it is to be of a piece of uh, software, right? Or at least oh, I like, see what you mean. If I own the only diamond mine in the world... It is so much easier for me to control the price of diamonds. Kind yeah, of thing. yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Um, uh, but yeah. Um, uh, well, that said, I do think that Epic has something of an argument. I think the intuitive side of Epic's argument is that people are not coming to the App Store for Apple. People are coming to the App Store for Fortnite, right? And and that putting a barrier between people and the product they want um, is. Like, that, that is a kind of disruptive practice. And if Epic is willing to create, a, a like, a workaround and people are willing to take that workaround, Epic should have sort of the freedom, like, the freedom to do so. I don't think that that quite rolls off the tongue in the same sort of way. But, you know, it's kind of there, I guess. Yeah, it's kind of there. And there's also, like, some gradations there, right? Like, part of this is that, like, Fortnite or Epic wants to basically force Apple to put the Epic Store on the Apple Store because it because you have to jailbreak your iPhone to get a third-party app, right? Like, there's, like, a, mm-hmm. I, it, there, there's like I said, a whole bunch of technicalities there. But a, a, a lot of it, a lot of kind of, like, the sticking points for Epic, I think, are the way that you have to kind of, um, uh, are the way that you have to, it basically has to hijack a lot of, like, Apple's stuff, right? Like, in, in order to get it to work in the way they want it to. Right, like, um, like, like I said at the uh, near the top of the cast, they used to let you just download the APK from their their store to get it onto onto Google, and that's like relatively low low pain, right? Like, just it gives you a warning that this is an APK from the internet rather than from the trusted Google Play Store. Um, and the issue, like, the thing there was that they just didn't have a lot of traction there, right? Like, they got a lot more traction once they put it on the Google Play Store. Um, yeah. Uh, and so, like the the uh, kind of parallel there is that they want to like they they want to basically 
use that that goodwill and trust, which presumably in, in, you know involves like also utilizing those um, those checks and balances that kind of engenders the trust that that Apple has um, uh, or or Google has in the Play Store, even though it's a little bit less. In in order to kind of like um, uh, in, in in order to to get their product out there, basically for a better profit for themselves. Um, I think you might be right in that this might be just a play to kind of like get themselves a better deal, but uh, yeah. I'm kind of surprised it's kind of hit the hit the outside world in the way it has. I would assume this would have happened behind Well, so that is a piece I also want to talk about. How do you feel about Apple, or I'm sorry, about Epic sort of weaponizing its fan base with like the 1980 Fortnite, with that, like they clearly had this stuff like yeah. ready and raring to go, right? Um, and that is something that I do find novel and unique about this right like i have definitely seen companies fight other companies about things um but most of the time they don't bring those fights into sort of the the consumer space in a certain sense it's almost like these fights are b2b rather than b2c right yeah and what epic is doing here is making it b2c right like they are kind of encouraging their fans to i don't even know throw their iphones in blenders or something yell um, at apple in order yeah like to in order to to i guess like get ammo and power um the, the in fight in the fight. court of the yeah the fight the court in the, the fight in the court of the public opinion I honestly, Which is what I feel is so strange because, like, like I said, I think Apple has the intuitive case. I don't feel like you can win a court of public opinion thing when you need people to understand antitrust law in order to make your case. Yeah, so I think they might win in the court of public opinion in the in the idea that, like, you know, kids and teens don't understand or care about the business stuff. They just want to play their Fortnite and are mad that they can't, right? And that this is the thing that this is the thing that I think is that makes it like bad and in a lot of ways immoral. It's like if they put out a statement on their website, if it was just Tim Sweeney tweeting, I would be less aggravated by it, even if it was the Epic Games account tweeting, right? Like the fact they put it in their game and they made it a thing that you had to look at and they make such a, like they, they're like selling merch on it, right? And they're like really making this kind of like, like they're trying to weaponize the, their their fan base, which is kids, right? Like in a lot of way, I guess it's really like sticks in my craw in a bad way. And I, I, I think it's kind of like, I think they know what they're doing, and I think it's kind of it's, it's kind of like gross. Uh, yeah, I think the fact that it's kids is a huge piece of the puzzle. If this was, you know, if this was a fight between uh, Call of Duty and like Activate, well, even that one is kind of like young. What's an old people game? I mean, so you, you, like the fact that it's in the game also sticks in my craw, right? Like if this was like, like I, I feel like it's still like I think it's especially gross because it's kids. But like, let's say, let's say. Paradox decided to like pick this fight with Steam, and like yeah. when you opened up Crusader Kings, right? Like you know the country, like you know like the the the, uh, the HRE was run by like you know Evil Mick, uh, you know Eric Schmidt or whoever. Who, what's the current? It's like I think it's uh, I forgot who the current CEO of of of, of Google is, but that's not Gabe Newell, right? Like I'm if the head of the HRE was Gabe Newell, and he had like the satanic trait. Yeah, that'd be kind of like gross. Right. Yeah. But like, you know, it's not like, you know, you know, it's not like little Timmy's going to be like, mom, the, you know, the Satanist head of the HRE is selling our games. Right. Like, you know. Um, yeah. It, I mean, typically, like, I do see some of this sometimes. Like, so, for instance, the Ubisoft games of like our current generation make you download and use Uplay or whatever. But that is a positive case. Right. Essentially, what what Ubisoft is doing is saying 
to 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 someone you know you got this game on steam but i'm going to kind of like show you my alternative to steam and maybe that'll get you to come over to like using you play as a primary platform or something stupid like that right like it is not trying to win by denigrating steam it's trying to win by kind of co-oping steam's platform and creating its own right like it's its own platform for you to use like battle.net is making a positive use case against Steam by saying, I have games that you want to play, like, whatever, Diablo 3 and World of Warcraft and and, and Call of Duty. Um, come play on my platform. It's not like they are attacking Steam as a platform, right? Um, and that just feels much fairer and, like, less confrontational, right? Like, um, than, any of this, than any of this stuff with kind of, like, Epic and Apple. Yeah, the, so the the thing that always pops into my head when I think about, like, what Epic's doing is, like, remember for a while there were those, like, fake videos. It's like, you know, Fortnite needs your help. Call in, uh, get take your parents' credit card and send me the, you know, the four, you know, the numbers on the front of the card and the four numbers on the back and the expert, you know, like that old, like, meme where they were paying yeah. some guy on Fiverr to, like, record these fake commercials that were kind of funny. But, like, yeah. apparently did trick some kids into sending money in, right? Like, even though it was supposed to be obviously fake. Um, that's kind of what it feels like, except not sarcastic, right? Like, yeah. you know, you know, tell your mom to, to, to go yell at Apple, you know, go yell at the, the person in the, uh, in the Apple store for not letting their kid play Fortnite, right? Like that's kind of what it feels like. And on like a very, uh, a, a very, uh, uh, kind of like devious level, right? Like almost like they're trying to weaponize Karens, right? Like. It doesn't matter that the teens are mad. It's matter that they, they get their moms mad, and the mom goes yells at some poor person in the Apple Store to like put Fortnite back on their kid's phone, um, <laughs> uh, which you know is is it's it's I don't know I I just, I just don't like it, and I think like so, so the big thing to me, and this this maybe like pulls back into the legal side of things is they could litigate this case against Apple's monopolist while letting like you know while just maintaining the status quo, right? They sell their V bucks at the thirty percent cut, and if it turns out that they win the legislate or win the uh, win the litigation, they can claw back some of that money as part of the as as part of the uh, you know the the would, would probably be a settlement, but could ultimately be like the court ordered payment, right? Um, uh, but they have chosen specifically not to do that um, mm-hmm. to kind of like wage some minor version of what I'm going to call the culture war, even though that's not the typical association. I mean, that's the thing that kind of, like, really aggravates me, right? Like, I I have, I was never on board with the kind of, like, epic store is evil type of stuff. I thought that was just people being stupid. Um, but this 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 kind of, like, makes me kind of angry. Um, Do you have an ep- epic store account? Oh, yeah. I've, I have for, had for a long time. They were giving out free games. They had some exclusive right. games, right? Like, I don't care. Um, does, uh, does this uh, remind you at all? Like, the Blizzard Hong Kong thing you said got you to uninstall Battle.net, right? Yes. And that, like... You know, like that, that is the big thing, right? They, Blizzard did this thing that is unethical. Therefore, I uninstalled their launcher. Do you have that same kind of compulsion with the Epic Game Store? Kind of no, but just mostly because I don't really use the Epic Game Store that much. Like, I have games on it, but I don't. Mm-hmm. It's not like I was using it every day, like the kind of with the Epic Game Store. Funnily enough, part of the reason why I uninstalled Warzone um, was not only the technical glitches, but also. So Call of Duty dropped a uh, a trailer for its new um, Black Ops trailer, 
right? Oof, yes, I've heard about this. And it had a scene from Tiananmen Square in it, and China said no, and so they recut it and took it out. <gasps> yeah. Uh, wow, I did not hear about any of this stuff. That's crazy. Yeah, wow. and so I was just like, so, like, it's a little bit less strong than, like, you know, I thought it was less oppressive than the... Uh, I think the Hearthstone thing makes a better a better like story. Yeah, you know what I mean because it it is very much like, you know, this incredibly powerful company versus the little guy. Yeah. Whereas with with the with the with the trailer, it was kind of like three strikes. It was the game doesn't run well on my computer; it keeps crashing. It takes two hundred fucking gigabytes of space. Yeah. No. Tell me about it. Jesus Christ. (laughs) And then like the Tiananmen Square thing, I was like, ah, fuck it. No amount of Warzone is worth it for this, and I installed it. Um, no, yeah, I also installed it, and it was just because, like, I mean, I was, like, editing video, and I got the message, it was like, your scratch disk is full. And I was like, how the fuck is my scratch disk full? I have, like, a terabyte. I have two full, I have two terabyte solid-state disks in here. Um, and uh, and it was because Warzone took up, takes up 200 gigabytes. And I was like, you know what, honestly, the chance that I'm going to play a pickup game of Warzone with some of my friends, like, every once in a while, maybe, like, once every three weeks, is not enough for me to reserve 200 gigs on my fucking computer. Like, so, so, so the worst part, of, at least to me, is that like I, I at some point bought the full game, and I think it's only 100 gigabytes if you just have Warzone, but you can't like do that downgrade. So I can't, I couldn't oh, even like yeah. uninstall multiplayer just to play Warzone with 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 with, with friends. Right? So it's like, yeah, I'll download it again if I if I care enough, and if I decide I'm not angry at Activision um, anymore. But you know, it is what it is. Uh, but yeah. Uh, you know, I think I think this the kind of like a big takeaway from all this is companies are not your friends, right? Like you know, uh, you know, like small, like you know, little companies. You know, I think I get being a fan of right. Like I'm not going to, you know, uh, uh, I'm not going to begrudge anybody for being a fans of like Super Giant or like you know Skullbot or Aquapara, right? Because they're mm-hmm. like they're, they're small companies with faces, right? But like these juggernauts, Epic, Activision Blizzard, Apple, Google. All, all, all included. They are not. They are not your friends, um, and uh, you know, engage with them as as kind of like corporate entities that that, that serve you. And uh, if they piss you off, feel free to you know just cut the cord and tell them to to, to fuck off, right? Like, I know. Epic or Activision isn't going to pay its employees less because I stopped playing Warzone. Um, uh, so you know, I don't feel bad about that. Yeah, but uh, that's our hour. Did you have any closing thoughts on, on, on any of this? You know, I think we covered it. Uh, how was your week, my dude? It was pretty good. Um, uh, so, games-wise this week, I played mostly Final Fantasy fourteen, your old game. Um, <laughs> um, uh, and uh, it's actually pretty rad, right? Like, the, the, the moment-to-moment gameplay um, is, I would say, about as good as WoW. Um, but, like, the... St- story yeah like i'm it's obviously fresh to me um so um some of these beats especially like the the realm the i i just got into heaven's word the realm reborn to heaven's word um kind of like uh transitory scenes i thought were like pretty epic and i really enjoyed them it was a lot of fun a little bit jarring because as soon as you finish it the voice actors switch for like half the characters i'm like why does he sound different <laughs> <laughs> Uh, why does Alpha No not sound the same? Um, and uh, uh, but uh, it's 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 fun. It's been a good way to spend time. I really like the the, the crafting and gathering systems in uh, Final Fantasy XIV much better than I did in uh, in WoW. Um, 
Uh, and I think part of that's kind of like standing on the shoulders of giants types things, uh, both their own giant of 11 and kind of just like seeing like what, what else was out there. Um, yeah. Uh, otherwise, uh, I've been like getting my, my body ready for CK3, which drops tomorrow. Um, uh, but uh, otherwise, I just played a, I played some uh, tabletop games, which I'm sure if you want to talk about your week before we get into the Star Wars game, which I assume. We'll no, be yeah, like let's a... talk about Star Wars. Uh, right. So we played another game of Star Wars last night, um, which was uh, Nick GMing and, he, and following up from previous previous weeks. Uh, and now that I feel like we've kind of gotten our groove a little bit, it, it is like easier. One of the things that I'm realizing is that like because Nick is GMing a true storyline that goes across multiple sessions, he it is we are we are kind of onboarding into each of the adventures easier and easier because like we kind of have a context. And I right. think that's probably why you and I have described this issue where like the start of the campaign or the start of the session is a little shaky because like nobody really knows what to do and like the plan to take or whatever. And it's because you kind of have to reintroduce a bunch of new things right at the start. Right. But like when you don't have to do that, when we already have the context, okay, there's this crashed ship. We got hired to be here. There's a couple of other people involved or whatever. Um, we just sort of like rolled right into it, uh, which is pretty neat. Yeah. And there's also like, especially in the second session, there's like, like we knew exactly what we had to deal with. We had to deal with the um, the cyber cats. I forget what their their yeah. names uh, their names are uh, immediately. And so that's like a thing to do, as opposed to like formulating a plan for the most part. Um, and that kind of like rolling start, I think, really helps in the same way that like playing an adventure, right? Like it, because like D and D is open, but maybe a little bit less open than say the, than the Star Wars Fantasy Flight, which is designed to be like super super open. Um, there's like like uh, I think there's an angry GM article about this that I, I I'll try and dig up for the, for the description. Um, it's like you want to provide your players with like a couple of obvious hooks so that um, and then like leave the possibility open for them to invent their own plan. But the obvious hooks let them grab onto something if they can't think of something. Um, I think that's probably a good piece of advice for for Star Wars, right? Like you know you you put mm-hmm. kind of some of the obvious things in front of your players. That way, if they want to grab those, they can. But if they come up with something novel, you're not, you know, you're, you're, they're not railroaded. It's just kind of like, how would I put this? So like, there's like a road that you can drive on if you want to, but you're in an off-road vehicle so that you can go off the beaten path if you really want to. Yeah. Um, I think that's kind of key for, uh, for for kind of getting these sessions up and rolling. Yeah, we also had a combat in there that I thought was really funny because you and I both whiffed and uh, and like I was really surprised how much that combat turned on just missing two attacks from kind of like core attacking characters. Because um, like we had opened in a pretty strong spot, we like did a bunch of damage. Uh, we I basically killed a, a guy right off the bat, which felt really cool and felt really powerful though i did fuck i did fuck some stuff up um i realized in my fight with the the cyber nexu that i had forgotten about some of my damage modifiers which like maybe could have affected things um but uh but you know and then we got kind of deeper into the fight and um and on one turn both you missed your sniper shot and i missed my dual pistols shot and all of a sudden, it was like, oh, my God, wait, this is really dangerous, right? Um, <laughs> and, like, I got knocked out and stuff. And we kind of recovered from there. But it's sort of the first time that I've really felt like the Star Wars combat system um, was really offering a threat 
or like threatening gameplay to us. You know what I mean? Like there was danger of a party wipe there, um, whereas there there wasn't really as much danger to party wipes in other in other situations or scenarios. Um, like it, it it has popped up in a couple of places where it's like, okay, wow, this is a really dangerous foe for for you guys to fight or whatever. But most of the time, when the party is engaging in combat, it feels like we are engaging in a very safe combat. Yeah, and, and maybe maybe that's just kind of like a. Uh, like a hidden thing that's not actually true, right? Like, like maybe the combats are dangerous. It's just that we've gotten lucky for the most part, right? Like, yeah, it, like like that combat really kind of like highlighted kind of uh, uh, usually it's used derisively, but I don't quite mean it. That it's kind of rocket taggy. I think the intention is that like up your characters go down a little bit more than we have been going down, right? And then like you have these critical wounds to heal off that, right? Like up up kind of the stakes for each progressive fight so maybe, that, maybe that's an interesting lesson to take especially since yeah. like i think what's been really interesting is since nick is running this out of a book um it kind of shows i think the intended game design in a way if that makes sense mm-hmm. um i think that really helps uh kind of like set expectations for how things work moving forward right like i i think sometimes in in, in our games that like things tend to solve themselves out because there are very Star Wars ways to solve things, and those just kind of like fall out of the solutions. But like having guardrails for like what check this actually needs uh, can kind of broaden those horizons a little bit, just because you're kind of forcing it. If that makes sense. Yeah, I also think that it's a little bit of a danger in, in terms of builds, right? Like Omega is very deadly and very lethal. Omega being my character on the first round of combat, right? Because he gets huge bonuses against people who haven't um, acted in a turn. Um, and so the idea is that like we can pounce on our enemies and really sort of hammer them into the ground in the first round of combat and then kind of clean up from there. But this was a situation where we kind of didn't execute on that. And then once we're in a sort of like a prolonged combat, well, all of a sudden all of Omega's real burst damage is gone. Um, and, uh, and I have some tools in there like Omega still does regular damage, right? But like when I've invested whatever it is, 30, 50 of my experience points into talents that are like you win the first round of combat really hard talents. Once you're rolling up on the third, fourth and fifth rounds of combat, it's like, Ooh boy, this guy, like it's kind of like playing a character with like high burst DPS, but low sustained in a way. Yeah. Um, also part of it too, is that like the nature of that, like left you exposed where it's like, I was in the back hiding and like there was no wall river to also be a front line and you know uh arc yeah i also just expected the the defense die i this is part of my calculus right like i took a talent a 25 xp talent that says like when you move um you get range defense uh against which is part of well which is part of omega's thing right omega uses short range guns he wants to get in short range so that he has low difficulty attacks and then um uh he is making lots of move maneuvers to gain range defense against ranged attacks, right? Um, but, like, those just didn't seem to be really, like, helping me out that much uh, in terms of, like, blocking shots, which was maybe, like, a rolls thing. But I guess just ha- adding two setback die to, like, somebody's attack is not as impactful as I, as I thought it was. Yeah, no, I, I, and I, I think part of that, too, is that, like... Um... I think part of it is is that like because the 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 the, uh, the 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 dice are kind of swingy, right? Like because it's so randomized, like it's probably good on average or better on average, right? But it's not necessarily 
good yeah. um, every time, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's uh, kind of one of those – I think about this in WoW terms a lot. Like, in WoW, there are certain things that you'll end up picking up. And it's not because you think about them, but just because, like, you don't want to think about them. But, like, okay, so, for instance, on Azerite armor, right, you have all these rings, and you can choose a thing, right? One of the things that you can choose is an ability that says every time you take damage, you heal for a small amount of health, typically, like, 1% of your HP sort of thing. That ends up being a very, very good trait and is recommended to be taken in a lot of scenarios. And it's not because, like, you think about it, right? Like, it's not like you are making decisions around the 1% of HP that you are going to heal, right? It is because over the course of a raid encounter or a, a Mythic Plus dungeon or something like that, the amount of healing that it gives you over time really stacks up. And if you were to look at it and say, like, oh, wow, this trait actually healed me for whatever the number is, right, you know? 75,000 HP over the course of this this thing. That's a pretty significant amount, right? Um, and I feel like it's, it's something sort of similar when it comes to... Um, when it comes to that. Where it'll be like, you know... Every once in a while, it'll drop a failure that will... Or like, it'll drop a... It'll drop a... Not a failure. A threat that'll stop me from getting critted right or it will pile threats onto the enemy so that they don't get any advantages out of their roles that kind of a thing yeah i I think that's probably enough about star wars unless you want to talk about anything did you want to talk about like any any of the kind of bigger moments with like uh the the dramatic moments or did you want to move on to your week you know the dramatic moments were cool um i think uh i think the game is you know i think the the game is fun and it's interesting and uh and i'm having a lot of fun with it i'm very excited for aaron to be part of it um i think i missed an opportunity i kind of like part of my thing with omega is that like he's over the clone wars and doesn't want to fight about or talk about that shit you know what i mean like it's 20 years ago i'm not going to relitigate right like the vietnam war you know for myself sort of thing uh but i do think that this was and so and so when when presented with that opportunity i kind of took the out where i was just like omega doesn't want to talk about this shit right but i think really it was probably correct for me to get into it on an rp level um well so so you want to tell the audience exactly what happened just because we're we're kind of glossing it and we don't record so for the context of the story right we are tracking down a separatist ship that at the very tail end of the Clone Wars, like, disappeared out into, you know, space and again, never got heard from again. It was, like, full of all this treasure and shit like that. Um, and then we, like, get a lead on it where we eventually figure out, oh, it's on this, you know, backwater planet. Nobody ever goes there. It's completely uncolonized, right? Uh, that's where, like, the distress beacon is. We go there and then we find that the, the Separatist survivors of the ship are still alive. Um, and one of those survivors lectures us, um, particularly myself, because Omega is an ARC trooper. He's a clone, right, who obviously fought for the Republic, on all of the failings of the Republic and everything. Um, and I didn't take that opportunity to, like, rise to the occasion in a way that, like, I kind of almost, like, regret. Like, now I feel like I, I want to have taken that I want to have taken that bait in a way just for the juicy RP, even though it was in character for Omega to say, you know what? I don't give a fuck about this. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I definitely do. And that's part of why, like, Jad jumped on it was just because, like, you know, my, my character is a little bit bitter about the about the uh, 
about the Clone Wars, um, but I try and portray him as cool. Otherwise, I wanted this to be the thing that, like, really sticks in his craw, right? Like, you know, like, getting lectured about some, like, bullshit government that didn't do anything right. Um, uh, or, or, you know, that, that that would have been perfect in theory if they had just had a, a chance. Um, and then, like, to find out that he was, like, a, you know, a, a stooge of Grievous just, like, really sent him over the edge. And I, I really enjoyed that. I don't know how mm-hmm. well it landed, but, like, um, I... I that's that's the type of thing that, that I like really wanted to lean into, and I, I get why you didn't want to do that. But like, the problem is, is like, maybe not the problem, but like, I, I feel like you want to lean into, you want to find something to lean into, um, maybe not there necessarily, but like in general, that will like, you know, is not not a ton of fun to play a character who is always like cool and reserved in every situation, right? Yeah, like, the thing is, is that like, and part of my thing is that it doesn't quite, it kind of comes at Omega from a weird level because like Omega. Omega is to the Republic as the battle droids were to the Separatists, right? right. You know what I mean? Like he doesn't ha- he doesn't care about the Republic in a meaningful way or the Empire for that matter, right? Like his bond was always with his fellow like clones in a way, and so um, arguing about the politics of like oh was the Republic decadent or whatever is so sort of like above at the at the place where like omega is that it was just kind of like coming at him from like a weird angle i'm a little sad that i didn't really take it was this is at the very end of the session um my my obligation triggered and in my obligation i have a uh another clone who is hunting me for betraying the kind of republic around or order 66 right as an art trooper omega doesn't have an inhibitor chip order 66 triggers and omega refuses to you know fuck with the jedi and that essentially makes him a traitor to uh the republic and later the empire and he's being pursued by a clone death trooper uh k6266 or kicks as we call him um who showed up at the very, like, in the last five minutes of the thing. And I created a scene in my head where I wanted to have Omega and Kix confront one another and have, like, a brief dialogue before, like, you know, Omega zips away, you know. So it's one of those things where, like, you can have the hero and villain talk to one another, but they don't kill each other. You know, like, they're right. not fighting. Um, but, like, because it was the end of the session, we just kind of, like, bypassed that a little bit. Um, so you know yeah that's another thing but i'm definitely down for these drams i love the drams yeah no i it's 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 definitely a lot of fun um especially when we do like you know some of it it's like the silliness which is very endemic to star wars but like you know i shot this robot's like uh you know beloved general this is the the guy that i get pissed off at and then arc manages to turn around and convince him that we're actually the good guys right like (laughs) and like in like in like that kind of like you know I rolled to, uh, you know I, I rolled to seduce the dragon and you roll a natural twenty which feels really out of place in D D I think it's actually like super in in place for Star Wars because that's just kind of like yeah. or at least the kind of campaign we're playing right like um but yeah no it's it's super super fun um but what was up with the uh, with the rest of your week uh so the rest of my week has just been playing World of Warcraft getting Mythic Dungeons done um so okay. One of the so so I've talked in the past about like the different ways to kind of like signal excellence in WoW, right? Like I talked about the Brutosaur being one. You know, if you are an excellent earner of gold, you get the Brutosaur. The Brutosaur goes away at the end of the at the end of the patch at the end of the season, right? Um, if you are an excellent raider, 
you will get Ahead of the Curve, which is killing Heroic when it's current content, or Cutting Edge, which is killing Mythic at current content. So if I killed Mythic Nazoth, I would get Cutting Edge. I would be like, you know, a very high level, high tier sort of raider. The Mythic Plus version of this is Battle Battle for Azeroth, Keystone Master, Season 4 or something. Um, one of the things that BFA did for Mythic Plus Dungeons... Um, is create a um, is create a like season by season meta for for them. So basically, in the first iteration of uh, in the first patch where we were fighting Gahoon and Uldir, the Mythic Plus dungeons had an affix that kicks in at rank ten at level ten, right? Um, okay, actually, to back this up a little bit further, one of the systems you can engage with in World of Warcraft right now is called Mythic Plus Dungeons. You go into a dungeon, you have a keystone that says, whatever the dungeon's name is, King's Rest, plus a number, plus two, plus five, plus ten, plus thirty. You plug that in, and it gives you a version of the dungeon that is much, much harder, depending on that level. Plus two is relatively easy, a plus ten is relatively hard. A plus ten is about heroic level rating, um, or like, you know, like real dedicated PVP combat sort of thing. A plus 15 is, is mythic level rating. If you get a plus, if you time a plus 15 mythic dungeon for all 12 Battle for Azeroth dungeons, you get Keystone Master, which is a meta achievement that awards a mount. And I want that mount so fucking bad. <laughs> So I've been running a ton of mythics with my uh, I've been running a ton of mythics with my friends. Um, shout out to my boy Falinor, uh, who has also been like running a ton of these, and we have a pretty core group. Um, myself, uh, a, a holy priest healer, uh, fail plays an arms warrior DPS, and then we have a, a, a beast mastery hunter. And in general, we have all kind of kitted ourselves out to be very effective at mythic plus, um, but the uh w but in order to do a dungeon you need a fifth person and a lot of our fifth people um are you know most of the time they're just kind of like they're good enough to do 10s not good enough to do 15s if that makes sense um mostly as a result of like being focused for other kinds of content like they are focused for rating which is more single target right doing mythic plus is a lot about how you manage trash packs um over the course of the dungeon right one of the interesting things about a mythic dungeon is that the one of the most interesting and useful statistics is overall damage done right which is not something that's ever useful in a raid in a raid you want to see an individual fights dps meters to see like if dps is good or bad um in a mythic plus dungeon dps does matter in certain like scenarios but most of the time the most important thing is that you are doing a large sustained aoe density of damage across the trash packs right and then kind of like burning through the bosses and, and sort of doing their mechanics um anyway we've been we've been slowly plugging through on these 15s um you know trying to get them in time really working on the mechanics um and everything like that and i have slowly started uh pugging into groups so i'm now at seven of 12 i have five left to do at 15 or higher times in order to get the in order to get the achievement um and it's honestly pretty nuts like i didn't really expect to see myself fall back down this sort of performance rabbit hole but it's sort of where we are the interesting thing is that i'm tanking i'm not even like doing the performance rabbit hole of dps where it's like you're looking at the number and seeing that it's big and feeling good though there's plenty of that when i do you know 
I it is fun doing big number damage, I guess. Um but um you know, the pre-patch is like right around the corner. It just got announced at Gamescom last week that uh Shadowlands is going to drop on October 26th, which is pretty soon all things considered. Um and uh and that means that the pre-patch which is going to outmode all of this stuff uh it's going to be the end of the season four um is going away and that kind of that kind of sucks i don't know i i the one thing that is really crazy to me is how much mythic plus has improved in battle for azeroth i was really deep into playing like legion and stuff and doing mythic dungeon and you know like doing mythic plus um kind of here and there but i never really like got super into it because of the way that it was designed um the old version of mythic plus was you'd get two affixes right in the middle and then the plus 10 affix was either fortified which made all the trash harder or tyrannical which made all the bosses harder now fortified and tyrannical happen right at the start your plus two is either going to have fortified or it's going to have tyrannical depending on the week um and then the 10 is going to be themed right so the theme when we were fighting gahoon was called reaping infested or something like every time you kill a mob you spawn a little tiny maggot worm that you that you have to like kill on top of it so you kind of have to like you're killing extra trash um inside of all like the trash that you're killing um i think a similar affix was reaping i don't remember i didn't do mythic plus in 8.1 uh 8.2 was the ashara patch and um and as Shara had little mini bosses around the dungeon that were giving effects to the trash in the dungeon. So like you would have to kill a mini boss in order to CC mobs. You wouldn't be able to like stun mobs in the dungeon until you killed the mini boss or certain mobs, that kind of thing. This one now is, is called awakened, which is um, there's the dungeon. And then there's a shadow version of the dungeon and all around the dungeon are these, obelisks and when you enter an obelisk you fight a mini boss and where that mini boss dies and the obelisk is there's a portal on either end and you can use that portal to get into and out of the shadow realm and the core function here is that getting into and out of the shadow realm allows you to skip trash packs so your roots are very interesting and very complex now because like i can drag a mini boss all the way across the dungeon the dungeon and i can skip the very worst trash right so for instance one dungeon which tends to have um very difficult pulls late one of the things that you do is you just spend the first 20 minutes pulling every bit of trash before the first boss because all of that trash is just so much easier to deal with than the trash later down the line so you pull all that trash before the first boss then you um then you go to each individual obelisk, clear the minimum amount of trash possible, and take that obelisk to each of the boss fights. And doing, being able to do stuff like that uh, has actually been pretty, like, complex and interesting. Um, and, uh, I don't know, it just makes, like, Mythic Plus super, super fun and super engaging. I feel like this is the kind of thing that WoW is really great at right now. Um, like, these sort of, like, end game what are you going to spend your time when you're at max level doing, right? You have Horrific Visions, which I've talked about a lot in the cast, right? And how much I enjoyed uh, kind of like 
do, doing the doing the horrific visions and kind of working your way up that tech tree and managing your sanity and stuff like that you have raids at various levels which are you know raids are now a mechanics ladder which i think is pretty interesting um raid finder has the basic mechanics normal has a little bit more than raid finder right heroic has a little bit more than normal mythic has a little bit more than heroic you know and each time with like more damage and um and and more health involved and, and kind of like all the situations right but like it is when you do a fight on normal you are also learning for the fight on heroic if that makes sense um and then you have the you know like the mythic dungeons where you are learning roots you're learning trash packs something that we we were doing um that was really cool was going through dungeons on higher level keys and then dropping those keys down because we understood the dungeon you know what i mean we would go through on a 16 and then we wouldn't complete the dungeon and drop it purposely to a 15 and then go through it again but like with the practice we know where the problem pulls are we know where we need to hold off on dps where we need to go really hard on dps we have it's almost like a speed running thing at that point right no it's like swinging the bat with the weight on so that you uh you can do it better when you actually have to swing the bat yeah it is exactly like that actually i made the uh i made the reference that it's like your piccolo and you're taking off your weighted armor you know, before you fight Goku kind of thing. Oof. Or like Rock Lee, when you take off your uh, your leg weights before you fight, I think it was Sasuke, Naruto. Pick your yeah. anime. Um, uh, but yeah, no, that, that sounds that sounds super compelling. And that, that actually reminded me about a thing, another MMO that I played this week, is I played some of the preview for New World, the Amazon Oof. MMO built in Lumberyard, um, to harken back to some of the stuff we talked about earlier. Um and it's actually kind of impressive what they've managed to learn from uh, World of Warcraft, which is nearly nothing. Um, in, a way, <laughs> in a way that's, like, kind of boggling, right? Like, so they, they managed to avoid what I would call the, 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 the first big Mac Daddy problem, which is, like, tagging mobs, right? Like, everybody gets credit for uh, killing a mob, but it's okay. got some of these classic questing problems, right? Like, so for an early quest, you need to skin a bunch of wolves, and everybody's piled in, so there's like it's a class kind of like MMO opening weekend type of thing where there's a ton of people around. So the thing is, is that when you kill a wolf or a mob to skin, anybody can skin that mob. And part of this game is it's action combat. So you've got like these longer combat animations. And so mm-hmm. if you want to skin the wolf to get the pelt, you're better off waiting for somebody else to to, to kill it and running in and ninjing the skin because oh nobody can interrupt you while you're actually skinning it. Um uh, and that was like that was like one quest. So it wasn't the biggest deal, right? Like that's like a thing that I, I feel like I could look past. But the, the the thing that really bothered me was like this classic problem, where like remember back in in Vanilla WoW when like it would be like get like twelve, uh, like you know, boar spleens or whatever, and like the boar yeah. didn't always drop the spleen, and so sometimes you had mm-hmm. to like like farm for a while to get like the things. Same problem here, right? Like WoW made the very smart decision at some point that those always drop their thing, right? Like it's a one hundred percent drop rate. Um, and so, you, you know, if you need, instead of like, you know, 12 boar spleens that you have to on average kill 15 boars for, but sometimes it's like 12 and sometimes it's like 30, it's like always 15, right? Like they up the number a little bit and they do it that way. Um, also just kind of like got rid of some of the grindier stuff. It's got this weird kind of like Amazon or like Amazon. new world has that like, kind of like some of these things don't have great drop rates and you have to, you know, you have to, uh, farm stuff for a while. Um, uh, other little things just kind of like there's not a t- there's like three skills per weapon and you can switch weapons but the skills are linked to each other so like if you cool down in slot one 
on your one weapon, if you switch weapons, that, that will be on cooldown as well. Um, uh, like I said, not a ton of variety. It Basically, it feels like it, what it really wants to be is a, it's a survival game, kind of like Ark, I guess. Or, um, um, But it's like not interesting enough to make that any, any of it worth it because there's not like a lot of like player built stuff, right? Like you can like craft stuff, but like the, the settlements are all kind of um, anchored. Um, and there's like not a, like it's it's kind of like they tried to tape on like theme park MMO stuff onto a kind of like not so great survival MMO, and it was kind of sad because like you know it looks exciting. I hope they take um, kind of like the general grumbling which I've seen and they transform it into something better because I think there's like some real cool stuff there. I just don't think it's uh, it's it's polished. It needs to bake a little bit longer in the oven, uh, which is kind of distressing because it was supposed to come out in May of this year. And then it was supposed to come out this like like this past weekend, which is why they did the preview. And now it's scheduled for twenty twenty one sometime. So, um, I don't know. It is. It was. It was. I was not impressed. Is the way I will put it. Have, have you watched well, any footage of it? No, I have not watched okay. any footage of it. That does that does suck. And I can't. I you know. I, I can say obviously. Um, one of the things that we learned pretty quickly in in the indie game space actually this kind of predated me right but like one of the pieces of wisdom that i got uh was to not announce a release date too early right because one of the things you you have to do when you're announcing a release date is you have to kind of like anticipate a certain amount of time where you're like will the game be done in three months like i want to announce here right will it be done by then but you'll actually notice like uh you know like not to not to hashtag you know uh plug but we announced that gone virals early access date is september 24th that's like right around the corner it's like basically three weeks away um that's a much quicker time because we we know it's like okay are we are we solid enough to hit early access yes okay well then let's let's put put our release date up if we had announced you know imagine a version of things where we announced six months ahead of time Gone Viral is going to hit early access, you know, however long into the future. Um, and then the game is not ready, right? Like, that's just a thing. That's just a thing that happens. Um, and so, uh, yeah. And to be honest, and it really sucks. Like, I think the damage dealt by delaying a release date is very severe. Um, we had um, we had a conversation about this once where it was like, okay, uh, because, because the way Relic Hunter Zero released... Um, we found a couple of issues very late in the process and we could fix them on PC more or less instantaneously, but like switch Nintendo switch has a little bit of a, of a workaround. And the question was like, okay, well, well, do we like delay the launch? We could like push the release date by two weeks so that we get through Nintendo's, you know, review process or whatever. And I was just like, no, I think people will be madder that we push the release date than they would if they ran into this, frankly, quite minor, um, issue, uh, with the game and um and so yeah boy i have a lot of sympathy for devs who who push release dates like that uh because that is a that is a tough decision to come to yeah yeah no and it's uh it's not only a tough like decision to come to it's also just kind of like it's it's like like you said it damages everything but it's like it's it's like bad for the bottom like i think the worst example of this is, is is halo getting pushed Halo Infinite, which was supposed to be, like, the oh, launch yeah, title yeah. for, like, uh, Xbox Series X. And now it's got, like, nothing. It literally has nothing. So, I do... I do um, and they also, like, switched out some people. Like, I do, I do not envy being uh, at 343 Studios right now. 
Um, but yeah, no, I, I definitely, I definitely get all of that. Um, did you have anything else you want to talk about before we, we close this out? No, I am, uh, I am good. All right. Well, if you want to tell us what you think about any of the things we talked about on this on this uh, podcast, you can reach us at simdurstplaygames@gmail.com or podcast.simdurstplaygames.com. You can follow us at twitch.tv slash simdurstplaygames, though we haven't really put anything up there in a while. Um, you can follow us uh, on or subscribe to us where good pa- where, where all podcasts are found. Rate review us on iTunes, all that good stuff. Um, that's everything I had. But do you have anything else you want to promote? I guess I do have something I want to promote. Like I said earlier in the cast, Spinch releases this week. Um, Spinch comes out on September uh, 3rd, which is Thursday. Uh, the next day, I will be doing a special episode of Buddy Gets Good, where I'm continuing my Spinch run. My earlier Spinch run, I got two worlds deep, right? Um, each world consisting of multiple individual levels over the course of about two hours. I'm not very good at platformers, and it only gets worse from there. Um, but I have made the commitment that we are going to do a special release week episode of Buddy Gets Good uh, this week for the Spinch release. Also, we had a ton of announcements over the weekend for Gamescom. Um, like I said, Gone Viral, which uh, I we've talked about on the cast a bunch of times, is hitting early access on September 24th. Uh, which I'm really excited about. One of the things about uh, Gone Viral is getting it to this place where now we can kind of like focus on uh, focus on content. I've been hearing that from folks out in the woods, right? That like the game's core systems have been refined enough and they feel good enough, right? Um, that what we really want to see now is variety in terms of content, another class, uh, more levels, different bosses, that kind of stuff. Um, and so that's the big that's the big push. That that is the content that will be coming in in early access, which I'm very excited about. And the last thing is we are uh, publishing Akupar Games is going to be publishing a Souls like Metroidvania called Grime. Um, did you see this one at all? I feel I like this was not. the announcement that I told you. I was like, I think you'll like this quite a lot. I, I, I have not seen this, but that does sound like it's right up my alley. Grime. Yeah, I would highly recommend it. Um, it is a uh, it is a first-time game, actually, out of, like, a student studio uh, in, in Israel. Um, and the it, – it is probably – I want to say the hardest. It is harder than Spinch, I think, for me. Um, because like I said, it is a, it is a souls like, and so there's just like a lot of situations where I'm just like, <laughs> I'm just not good at this game. Um, this and, looks really, uh, really and yeah, cool. so it is coming out in 2021. Um, but we are just announcing that we are, you know, coming on as a publisher. We, we dropped a trailer over the weekend. It actually might be one of the highest performing trailers. If this was all announced when I was part of IGN's awesome indies event. Um, and the Grime trailer picked up a lot of traction. People really seem to uh, enjoy and connect to it. So go check out those things. Oof, there's uh, even a and, button yeah. here that says check out the entire Aquapara Games franchise on Steam, which is a weird language, but I assume that, like, shouldn't you, like, is there, like, a different way to, I don't know. So, so on Steam, they let you make franchises, which is built for, you know, like, Assassin's Creed 1, 2, 3, 4 sort of right. thing. Uh, but most of the time, what indie publishers do is this sort of thing where you say, we have published, you know, we've only published, like, a dozen games or something like that. So the Akupara Games franchise includes all of our titles. Okay. Um, including Metronomicon. I didn't know you guys did Metronomicon. I've had that game for a the... long time. Third, second, third game that that Akupara ever produced. Danny, who is the developer on Metronomicon, is a really great guy. Uh, shout out to my boy Danny. We've hung All out right. a bunch of times in LA. Well, with that shout out to Danny, I think uh, we'll say uh, uh, until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners. <laughs>